Hello once again, this is Gary Zacharias with The Apologist Bookshelf. I want to introduce you to a book that I haven't talked about before. It's by a favorite author of mine. He's actually a good friend. Uh, we've hung out and uh, shared a lot of laughs and good times. And uh, he's, he's an excellent guy. So clear and uh, such a easy way of writing that uh, I am envious. His name is Dan Story. And it's a book called Defending Your Faith. He subtitles it, Reliable Answers for a New Generation of Seekers and Skeptics. It's a revised and expanded edition. So this is something I think would really be great. It's, uh, let's see, copyrighted 2019. So, uh, excellent. I mean, things like uh, discussion of the resurrection, um, why interpret the Bible literally? Should you trust the Old Testament, the New Testament? What about creation versus evolution? How do we know miracles really happened and on and on? So it's got all of the issues that we would ever run into and uh, maybe stump us. He has a, an opener here, and then I'll go to the first chapter. But he says he wrote the book for two reasons. He wanted to help Christians see that Christianity is reasonable, and it's an intelligent faith grounded on objective, verifiable, verifiable evidences. I think that's really crucial. So many Christians talk about, well, I believe it because... It just feels good. It resonates with me, or you know, I get the warm fuzzies when I'm in church. It's just, it's. <laughs> I'm a Christian because I think it's true. That's my answer. And he says it's reasonable. It's intelligent. It's based on objective, verifiable evidences. He says the second reason he wrote it is uh, to act as a tool for evangelism. I think that's wonderful. We should be sharing our uh, information, share our beliefs. Who are with people who are critical or just want some reliable answers. And the answers are out there. That's what's so great about Christianity. He starts off, I'm going to do chapter one. Why, what uh, it has to do with uh, why does God want our defense in the first place? Isn't that an interesting question? Now he says he began teaching a class of apologetics in his church. And there was a couple that came. And the husband said, well, wait, why, why does God want our defense? Why do we need apologetics? We have the Holy Spirit. That'll convince unbelievers. I don't even see why apologetics is necessary. Now, he said, the idea of apologetics being useful and necessary, he said, that's foreign to a lot of people. But I like what Dan says. He's, he says, you know, let, let's understand one thing. God doesn't need anything from us, much less our defense. So he said, maybe we should rephrase the question, not what that God needs it, but does he want our defense? Does he want us to take our time and our energy to offer evidences for the truth of Christianity? He says, if not, then you got basically a waste of time with apologetics. So he says, we got to discover what is apologetics and what does an apologist do so we can answer the question, does God want our defense? And if so, why? So he talks about what apologetics is. He says it has nothing to do with apology. It comes from the Greek word, Apologia, which is found seven times in the New Testament. He said basically that the word that we would think of for that in our language today would be defense. And he says it's translated that way in some language in some of the translations. So <clears throat> it was a technical term for the Greeks and their law. And uh, it says a public defense of the gospel. And he says many of the early church fathers were both theologians and apologists. Um, Somebody said this, I like this, apologetics is a branch of Christian theology which answers the question, is Christianity rationally defensible? Now, I would say amen. I know Dan feels that way too. So he said, 
what are we doing? What's, what's our job description if we're going to get involved in apologetics? He said, well, we're supposed to give a reasoned defense of historical biblical Christianity. R.C. Sproul said, apologetics demonstrates why Christians are Christians and why non-Christians should be Christians. So that means we really have to know what unbelievers believe and find out what are the obstacles that keep them from seriously considering Christianity. And it's tough because we have to think there may be some intellectual objections, so then we better have some good answers. Maybe there are emotional problems and we need emotional support and sensitivity. So we basically are trying to communicate Christian truths to non-Christians so that they'll listen. And the goal is always evangelistic. We're trying to lead non-Christians to a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not preaching, but it's a way to clear the weeds in a way, huh? So it's like pre-evangelism. And he says he wants to emphasize the responsibility to give a reason defense for Christianity. That's not the job of just a few theologians who write books and pontificate or even pastors. The job of defending Christianity belongs to every Christian. It's First Peter 3.15 says we're always supposed to be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you. Jude says this too. He says we're supposed to contend for the faith. So he instructs his readers, Jude does, to defend Christianity against false teaching. So we're supposed to defend Christianity against attacks of those who don't want to be Christians but we're supposed to defend it also against people who say they're friends of the faith, who undermine it. And he says, you know, two examples of that, undermining its orthodox teaching would be something like the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. So he says, non-Christians deserve to hear and understand the case for Christianity. I mean, after all, if we don't come up with answers for non-Christians' objections or questions, that person's going to assume we don't have any answers and, and it's going to find, try to find religious truth someplace else. All right, then I like his section here. Why the effort? He says it is an effort. Why Don't we have enough to do already? Raising kids, hacking our way through school, <laughs> maintaining our sanity on the job, on and on. But it says God commands us to defend the faith. It's not my idea, he says. Look at First Peter again and Jude. Okay. Uh, Dan's story says, all right, granted, God tells me to give a reason for my faith, but what's the payoff? Well, what's it going to accomplish? He said, well, more than you and I could ever imagine. So here's a section where he's talking about what are the advantages of apologetics? Why the effort? Number one, he says, it glorifies God. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Number two, what else do, does apologetics do? What are some of the advantages? It exonerates Christianity. I mean, he says, look around today. People have such an incredible smorgasbord of options. They can choose all these things. But we've got to exonerate Christianity as the right choice. Number three, what else can apologetics do? It strengthens believers. So even Jesus provided Thomas with evidence that he wanted. That's in John 20. Many of us desire... Uh, apologetics, finding out the truth of Christianity and strengthen our belief uh, to because we have our doubts, don't we? We're sometimes the worst skeptics. So it can be reassuring to new believers and reassuring to a lot of us. I take great comfort when I'm reading new material that backs up Christianity. I think, oh, okay, good. Well, that's, that's why I'm involved in Christianity. 
Number four, another thing that makes the valuable uh, thing about apologetics is it makes Christianity relevant. I mean, cultures and societies change, and today we're facing with philosophical naturalism, the idea that nothing exists outside nature. There's no supernatural. We've got New Age philosophies we have to wrestle with. We've got new atheists out there. We've got moral relativism. We've got religious pluralism. We just, we're just being bombarded with all these things. We have to confront unchurched, indifferent, non-religious people. They don't have any concern for spiritual things and no interest in Christianity. So now you've got people who are just basically ho-hum about the whole thing, apathetic. So what's another thing it can do? And I think this is crucially important because I teach at a college. What else can apologetics do? Prepare students for secular college. Oh, man. You can take a kid who's raised in a nice Christian home and has a good foundation in the Bible, and he or she goes off to a university and starts hearing all these antagonistic comments from people who have degrees, and they start thinking, well, maybe there's something wrong with that. Uh, they get Darwinian evolution, for example, or a change in history of uh, Christianity. They decry moral values. They say absolute truth. That's crazy. That, that's not around. They claim all religions are pr primitive superstitions and on and on. And he's got a statistic here that he's backed up. I mean, he took it from a source. Something like up to 80% of evangelical Christian kids walk away from their faith during their college years. Isn't that sad? He said, but you've got to get the apologetics done early. It's got to be done before young people leave the home to go off to college. I think that's really true. And it says, what's the one factor that's proved most effective to help young people retain their Christian convictions? He says, you, you might think prayer or Bible study. But it says the most significant factor is whether they had a safe place to wrestle with any doubts they had before they left home. And then he makes a really good point. He said youth leaders should be doing uh, things in the Sunday classes or Wednesday nights or whenever they meet that help them understand what kind of anti-Christian philosophies and worldviews are they going to be uh, banging into when they go out to secular universities and colleges. But here's another thing um, apologetics can do, evangelize the lost. He says there are a lot of competitors out today, and what we're trying to do as apologists is to lay a factual foundation, foundation for faith. We want non-Christians that are searching for spiritual truth. They're going to say, hey, there's some good reasons to believe. In fact, I've got a talk that explains if you're if you're involved with somebody who says, I'm on a religious pilgrimage, or I'm, I'm seeking things spiritually, that's great because that means they're beginning to think about values beyond just getting a job and making some money. And the first thing you want to say is, great, good, I'm glad you're doing that. Here's what I'd suggest. There are dozens and dozens of religions. Why don't you start with Christianity and just examine it first? And then you give a bunch of reasons. So I won't take the time for that today. But that's what we need to do. We need to evangelize the lost, the lost people out there. So we have to give reasons why other religions don't work. And we have to give convincing reasons why Christianity is authentic. So he says, uh, let's, let's get focused on that. Now, he spends, uh, I'm not going to take as much time on this, but he spends uh, other parts of the chapter dealing with Jesus as an apologist. He spent a lot of time answering questions, and he kept endorsing his divine credentials with proofs. He offered proofs. Then he talks about the apostles being apologists. I mean, think about Paul. What does it say over and over again? Paul goes into a synagogue and he reasons. 
and persuades people about the kingdom of God. So a lot of uh, references, for example, to eyewitness accounts. They did some research and documentation. Look in the first chapter of Luke. They seem to know their audience. Paul seems to understand the Greeks when he goes to Athens. Um, they talk about fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. They did legal reasoning. And so I, I really like that. I think that's super valuable. Right toward the end of the chapter, he says, is apologetics necessary? Now, he said, you're going to hear some objections. One is apologetics plays no important role in an unbeliever's step of faith. And he said, I don't deny that. People are ultimately saved by a step of faith. And he said, some people have become Christians without ever questioning the truth of Christianity. But he said, on the other hand, it's untrue to say no one needs apologetics. He said, you think about some of the most famous Christian scholars and apologists who become Christians came to faith after they examined the evidence. And he lists some. C.S. Lewis, John Warwick Montgomery, Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel. They didn't come willing and happy. They came after wrestling with the facts of Christianity. Uh, so he says, uh, think about apologetics. He says, Christianity affirms that we have a free will. And God is the author of human reason. And he says, Jesus said that we are supposed to love the Lord our God with our hearts and souls and with our mind. So God created us to be rational creatures. And he said, faith is impossible without knowledge. Knowledge comes through our ability to do what? To reason. So Paul says this, How can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So you need knowledge prior to salvation, is what Dan is pointing out. So he's summing this up by saying faith doesn't exist in a vacuum. A person's got to have some kind of knowledge about Jesus before they can believe in Jesus. So he says the goal of Christian apologetics is not to twist arms uh, and, or use heavily emotional language to get people to accept Christ on blind faith, but to lead them to make an informed decision for the Lord. He says our apologetic job is to help unbelievers arrive at saving faith by appealing to their capacity. God's given us all the capacity to use our reason for the Christian faith and then to respond to it. So I will end the chapter here. Uh, bottom line, he says, Christianity is not a mystical religion. It's not a mythical religion. It's not a misinformed religion. It's a historical religion. And all of its truth claims are grounded on objective historical facts. So I will end this uh, at this point, but such a good book, Defending Your Faith, Dan's Story. Look up, uh, he's got a blog. He's, uh, you'll, you'll find all sorts of information about him online. A good guy. Very pleasant person, very modest, but a great thinker. I'm glad to call him my friend. All right, well, have a good day. Talk to you later.